everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 327. Wow, 327 episodes. Let's just pause a moment. 327. Wow. That's, 327. That's IPFS, The Sleeping Giant, <laughs> recorded June 10th, 2018, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. Element opie.com welcome back ladies and gentlemen to drive time radio for geeks i am your host mark the sultan of the soapbox cockerel and joining me this week as always are your two stalwart co-hosts seth the gooey kid anderson and miles the oxygenier wakeham hello gentlemen hey mark and welcome to the faithful opiates glad you're home hola <laughs> yes miles is the the globe you know he complains about the heat in arizona and so he likes to travel in the summer. So naturally, he went to the coldest place he could think of, which is Mexico City. <laughs> Not quite. I was going to go to Patagonia. But <laughs> that was kind of like going to Alaska in February. So I thought, no, nah, it's a bit too extreme. So how are things in Mexico? They're cheap. really nice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Cheap. Woohoo! Is it seriously cheap down here? Um, yeah, 20 to 1 on the peso. Uh, yeah, it's a serious bargain, this bliss place. Um, it's only a two-hour flight from Phoenix, direct, which is cool. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, very cool. We're staying in the Sheraton, you know. It's a nice hotel, like it's a really nice hotel. And um, I've learned so much about this city. It's uh, I could talk for hours about it. But, no, it's a lot of fun. It's a great place. Come see it. All right, cool. And uh, Seth, what exotic location have you uh, joined us from? Um, Can Texas, home of the world famous first Monday train stays. <laughs> oh, so the same place that you always are from. My, yeah, anytime we have these conversations, uh, like you know, group gatherings, work, uh, where we're trying to plan vacations, or at church when they're talking about things, they're always like, "Well, who's going to be here on this date?" Yeah, just me. Just put me down always because I have no life. I don't travel. Just me, always me. And yep. one day we've got to all come to you, Mark. Atlanta has some amazing uh things to enjoy. That would be great. I uh so I I, I was at uh Sam's the other day. Um I went in for three items. $225 later and a full cart. <laughs> I came out of Sam's. It really is amazing. I mean, the entire store is designed to ensure that you overpurchase because uh, like you know who doesn't need 700 shop towels i mean you're walking down that aisle you see them you think i like shop towels i use them you know once a month i might as well buy, buy 700 of them that will last my grandchildren for lifetimes it's awesome um but anyway the i was walking down the aisle i, I have been contemplating purchasing a countertop ice maker because i have a family of five in the south it's summer and we never have enough ice. Um, I know you Europeans don't understand this because you've you've had a great ice shortage for about the last three decades. Uh, you go there to a restaurant, and you ask for ice, and they look at you like, "What is what is this?" But in the South, you must have ice in your glass twenty four seven. Like you fill your your glass with ice before you go to bed, and you set it there on the nice time behind uh, beside you, and it's it's a comforting thing. You you always have ice, um, and so it, it, my little ice maker in the door. Uh, of the refrigerator just can't keep up. So I've been contemplating a countertop ice maker. Actually, I want I want one of the big like refrigerated versions, but they're stupid amounts of money. 
Um, and so I was just walking by this aisle and I was looking at them. I mean, I went down the aisle specifically where the small appliances were to see what they have. And this little couple came out of nowhere. I think maybe they were paid by Sam's. I'm not sure, but they were this just little disarming couple. And one got on my left and one got on my right. And they started extolling the virtues of this countertop ice maker. Like this is the best purchase we've ever made in my life, our life. This is amazing. Like this, this cured cancer. It was, I used to be a, a black man and now I'm a white woman. It was amazing. The, the change that this made. Uh, and so they talked me into buying an ice maker. And that's why I think they they work for Sam's Club. But I brought it home. I think that's just the newest version of Alexa, actually. Is that it? (laughs) Yeah. So I brought it home. I plugged it in. And it was it's one of those times when I realized we're so we're still rednecks. We're high tech and and we're somewhat affluent, but we're still a bunch of rednecks. My family of five is gathered around the counter staring into this ice maker like, oh, it's about to go. Oh, there it goes. Ah, nine ice cubes. Amazing. And we all like throw a little, and, and then and then we wait. Oh, look, water's going into it. Oh, there it goes. It's starting to freeze. I can see a shell forming around. It's starting to freeze. It's been the greatest entertainment I've ever had uh, by a, a little countertop ice maker. So I just thought I'd share that story. This is what happens when you bring the clampets out of Beverly Hills into, into uh, I mean, out of the hills into Beverly Hills. Uh, they still stare at small appliances and wonder. Man, there's just that's. Uh, I don't know how to respond to that. <laughs> I'm still processing it here. So I've been bagging ice for later, you know. So we 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 now have a surplus of ice, which is like this thing that's never happened in my entire lifetime. I'm 46 years old. There's never been a time in my life where there was a surplus of ice, and so now we're bagging it and putting it in the deep freeze. I don't know what we're going to do with it at some point, but it just makes me feel better. It's like some people, you know, store gold. Some people hoard canned food. I'm I'm hoarding ice, um, but at some point, I'm, that's gonna there's going to be a great ice famine that hits the U.S. and I'm going to be the one. Everybody's going to come to me. Oh, yay! Okay um. then. <laughs> Nobody has anything to say about that. All right. <laughs> There's just too many. I I can't figure out what avenue I want to take uh, down that rabbit trail. You, per, um, yeah. There's just I don't know. First world problems. Yeah, yeah. I mean the 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 king of you know in in the south the king is the person who has the the nugget ice maker or the sonic ice maker or as as it's known around here is that good ice. Um, but those are considerably more expensive, and so I just have the regular. It makes like. The best description I could come up with is they're ice thimbles. They, they, they're about the size and shape of the thimble. They're hollow in the center. They're little ice thimbles. So anyway, that's that's the excitement of my life. Don't you want to be me? That <laughs> a, an $80 countertop ice maker is like the highlight of not only your, your, your day or your week, but like this is the best thing that's happened to me this year. Yeah. Are there different settings? Because I would realize that like the thimble ice would be the fastest to make because you can kind of get that cooling around all the water. Is, is there like a different setting, or is it a, is it the next step up that you get a solid cube of ice? No, there, um, there's there's two settings. There's th- big and small, and that's just how big the walls of the thimble are, how thick the walls of the thimble are. So essentially, a reservoir fills up with water, and like right. nine fingers dip down into the water and those fingers have refrigerant running through them and the ice gathers around the edge of the finger so that's why there's a hole in it 
and right. then it raises up and then i assume the the fingers heat and enough just to drop the ice off and then it unloads it and lather rinse repeat so with this particular model there'll never be an ice that doesn't have a hole in the middle because of the fingers sounds like you're making ice bullets okay if you want to go with that I mean, if you just Google countertop ice makers, there's there's one, exactly one ice maker in the world that like seven different manufacturers have labels for. I'm pretty sure they're made by one company, one factory in China, because they all look the same. Only some of them are silver, and some of them are red, and some of them are blue. Uh, but anyway, if you live in the South, buy an ice maker. You won't be you won't be sad. <laughs> I guess for for punishment, you can ban people from the. <laughs> countertop ice you get your ice you get your ice cubes from the fridge young lady so it's it's a really elegant design um it, it's the the ice tray sits above the reservoir of water so it's not refrigerated anyway so the ice immediately starts to melt and it drips down into the reservoir which is then sucked back up and refrozen so it's just constantly recycling the water of course you, you as you pull it out you have to add more water to it but i'm i'm enjoying it from that kind uh that um standpoint of just really elegant design i mean to it makes ice in six minutes and uh you know it's it's efficient and effective and it's quiet and so i think maybe that's it's not so much the ice but the engineering of you know really smart people sat in a room and said what's the cheapest way to make 26 pounds of ice a day and uh, anyway i didn't mean to spend 45 minutes talking about my <laughs> ice maker but uh, as you can tell i'm i'm irrationally excited about it irrationally yep (laughs) (laughs) so let's talk about something rational and that is ipfs which stupidly stands for interplanetary file system it really stands for internet protocol file file system but no it's the it's interplanetary i know i know but that's not what it is so they came up with ip because of the ip protocol and then backronymed it to interplanetary. Um, we've talked a little bit about it in the past as as a, a technology that I think will be important in the future, and definitely uh, to use an overused word, a disrupt a, a disrupting technology. Uh, but Miles, I know you've done a bit of a deep dive on it, so let's talk about IPFS. Yeah, uh, well, we we spoke about this what a year or so ago, something like that, probably. Um, yeah, and I know Mark and I have been experimenting a bit with it. So we've got some war stories, which is kind of cool. But um, if you're a real geek, you probably know what IPFS is already. If you're, uh, you know, maybe a geek on holiday or something and you haven't come across it, uh, basically what it is is a protocol that's creating what, what one would call the world hard drive. And the idea is that instead of, putting all your files on some proprietary corporate-run behemoth file uh, sharing service like Dropbox or something like that. You take advantage of the open source and collaborative and decentralized nature of the internet, and you store your stuff all over the internet. And, I'm okay, that's not revolutionary because we've had things that do that before. We've had BitTorrent, for example. Um, the problem is, though... It never was done in a way that that could do it. Well, let me explain what IPFS does, and it kind of will start making sense why it's kind of the next step up and what it opens up. So, um, you know, we, we've been going on about blockchains and Bitcoin and, and decentralized currencies and all that sort of thing for many moons. And um, 
you know, the the concept of storing a public ledger that records everything financial makes a lot of sense. You know, you can say, okay, I, Seth, I'll send you some money and you, this recorded in the blockchain and you get it. Okay. Right. So, um, the, block, the, the blockchain, everyone, you know, as much as people love or hate Bitcoin, everyone seems to like the blockchain, or at least that's the spin that the banks have been using for ages. The reality is actually it's got some uses outside of money. And one of the greatest things it does is it allows you to record things in a big index um, that can't be changed and can't be censored and can't be destroyed. So there's so many applications that that has social media, publishing, uh, all these sorts of things. Uh, the obvious one would probably be like smart assets, smart contracts or asset ownership, like who who owns what? I own a car, you own a house, there's a marriage registry, whatever it is. Um, you put that in the blockchain and it's there forever and it can't be changed. And normally we've we've kind of given up that responsibility to governments. You know, governments have a birth, death and marriages department and they have a DMV and they have a, you know, a, a corporate commission for corporation records and so on. You kind of don't need any of that with the blockchain because if you put it out there, you know it's real and it's not going to get changed. So if that technology is available for those sort of services and those sort of purposes, what if you could put all your files out there on the internet and index them on the blockchain and they can't be touched and can't be changed and you can't have them deleted and they can't be hacked and all of a sudden you've got some guaranteed storage of your stuff. So I looked at this and thought, well, that's really cool, but, you know, they're files, right? I mean, we yeah, we put them on our hard drive and we try and keep a backup and sometimes a computer dies and you got to go to your backup if you have one and all that sort of stuff. It's the, the age-old problem of storing your files. But as we move into the 21st century further and further, the value of digital media and digital assets goes up and up and up. It goes up with, you know... Uh, intellectual property or a website or your title to a domain on the internet or the movie you made of your kids you know when they the kid took the first step or your marriage or your whatever these things are really valuable and people put a high price on them so to put all of those artifacts of your life those digital rep representations of your life uh, out there on Dropbox kind of dangerous and if you have a short memory you'll probably remember a couple of years ago Dropbox got hacked and I guarantee that was not going to be the first time that happens it's going to happen again everything ha gets hacked so having a, a, a distributed storage that's indexed on the blockchain using a protocol that allows your stuff to be stored on everybody's computers all over the place uh, in pieces so that no one person has the whole thing and no one node can destroy the whole lot. That's really kind of attractive. So that right. that's uh, what let me, let me the stop essence here. of IPFS is. I detected a logical inconsistency. So one of the reasons that you would want to do this is because storage places get hacked. So instead of getting hacked, you just give everybody all your stuff? Uh, yeah, okay. Maybe that's not the best analogy. Um, let's Let's change that. 
YouTube. Okay, YouTube stores videos that people produce of their lives. If YouTube goes down, their videos are no longer available. That's probably a better analogy rather than, say, purely, you know, like private hacked stuff. You probably would. I mean, you probably encrypt it. Is encryption available? You know, can I distribute encrypted files that are both secure and distributed? Yes. I mean, whatever the file is and whatever format you you create it in is the subject matter that would be put on IPFS. So my my concern about that um, is, you know, anybody who's ever tried to BitTorrent some, uh, of course, perfectly legal uh, item, such as uh, a Linux distribution ISO, not anything that uh, the RIAA would want to come at me about. But if you've ever tried to uh, torrent something, you know that the problem can be uh, finding something with little to no cedars at all. So the cedars are the people who have the f- copies of the files or portions of the files and are making them available. So when you put your stuff out, out there, quote, wherever there is, how can you be sure that other people will actually maintain copies of your file. Ah, that's a very interesting point. And this is, to me, um, yeah, okay, I'm going to be greedy on this. This is the most interesting piece about it because IPFS was a protocol that they wrote a white paper on and they produced and wrote the code for and, you know, it's out there and you can install it on your computer and you can give up some of your bandwidth and, and some of your hard disk storage and be a, a great internet citizen. Yeah, that never ends well. Because people, by their nature, don't want to give up their bandwidth and their hard drive to <laughs> Joe's wedding photos. I mean, that's that's not going to work. How, how do you incentivize uh, a market out there to store your stuff so that you don't run into that BitTorrent problem of not having enough cedars or or whatever. Well, what IPFS did, the guys behind it, a company called Protocol Labs, uh, invented a technology called, well, there, there are a few of these, but this is the, the predominant one. They have a uh, an ICO that they went into last year, very, very popular one on a, a token called Filecoin, And the idea is that if you are a member of this internet service to store content and to, you know, give up some bandwidth, you actually get paid. And you get paid based on how much you give up, how much you store it, and how much people use of it. And you get paid in this token called Filecoin, and it's probably like any cryptocurrency, uh, like Ethereum or Bitcoin or whatever, there will be exchanges to get you from uh, Filecoin to Fiat and Fiat to Filecoin and so on. But effectively, you're mining this coin by d- becoming part of the IPFS distributed network. Now, uh, I should say a Filecoin is not yet released. Uh, it's still in its final, final stages of development, but it should, well, I was told it should be out by summer. You know how programmers are. Um, it's summer be of what year? Yeah, exactly. Um, but with with that said, um, you can see why, uh, for example, uh, you know, full disclosure, we just bought a one gigabit Class C network for one of our data centers with the sole intent on dedicating it to Filecoin and IPFS. Uh, because I think on a punt, this is going to make a lot of money. But... Um, you know, just for somebody who's got a computer in the in the house and some spare bandwidth, here's a great way to make a couple of bucks in the night when you sleep and you don't care about your uh, downloading your Netflix videos. 
And so somebody like me, I've got an unlimited uh, bandwidth uh, account with AT&T. Unlimited means until they decide that I've used too much of it. But uh, at least uh, in, in, in words, it's unlimited. So I could throw you know, a couple of terabyte drives out there for a couple hundred bucks and just be hosting, of course, throw my files on there, but also be hosting other people's files. Uh, the way I've looked at it is as a, um, I, it's not a, it's not a thing I'm thinking about doing or a thing that I might do. I will do it. I just haven't decided the time is right to do it. I'll start hosting all of these podcast files um, in the IPFS network. So when you go to the RSS feed and download the the latest version of podcast, you'll actually be pulling it from you know, tens to hundreds to millions of, of computers across the internet, um, then I won't have to pay hosting fees for that. Not only will I not uh, have to pay for it, I could actually get paid for hosting my own files on my own servers. That's, that's down the road. That's, I think three to five years before that becomes uh, a real reliable sort of thing. Miles is a little more bullish on it than I am, but the idea of, of trusting the cloud to store my data is a little frightening, but the idea that they're to trust people to be greedy, <laughs> that makes me feel a lot better because I'm not trusting people <laughs> to be good natured. I'm trusting them to be greedy. Yeah. Um, yeah. When it comes to IPFS, greed is good. Exactly. Uh, because in this case, it creates more nodes and more nodes means a more resilient, more available, faster network. Um, I know when we were playing around with this stuff, and I put some, you know, I said to you guys, I said, hey, I discovered this this IPFS thing. Maybe we should give it a try. And we put some content out. Um, you know, we discovered some weird things. Like, I think, Seth, you had, you couldn't even get to a file that wasn't down, was not downloaded correctly um, on the first try. I had problems. Um, it, yeah, it, I, that's if I remember what happened, correctly. What happened to yours? Yeah, if I remember correctly, it like the next day I was able to, so it was probably just like a seeding issue, um, you know, or DN, DNS or whatever. But if I remember, because that that's been a while back, if I remember correctly, later I was able to, but it wasn't real time yet. Right, that makes perfect sense because uh, yeah, it has to propagate, and it probably we you know there's not as many node participants on the network yet. Um, I did notice, I tried it like once and I had a similar issue. I tried it about a month later and it was better. I found small files were much easier to get quickly than larger. Like a four hour long podcast was a bit of a challenge, but eventually it did come. Um, but yeah, it was it was interesting and it's going to get better as more nodes participate on the network. So yeah, I am bullish. Um, I think... What's interesting to me is, you know, it, it's one thing to replace your hard drive with something, but there's got to be an app, that, like a killer app that runs to utilize your hard drive. So in the case of computers, it's an operating system or a file system, right? Um, IPFS doesn't have that. It doesn't have any indexing. It's just bits and bytes distributed on this big virtual decentralized hard drive. Whoopee. Now, what can I do with it? Yeah, okay. Well, podcast, like we can put a file out there and change the XML and the RSS feed to point to an IPFS uh, gateway to grab it. Um, sure, that'll work. But is that going to make IPFS a thing? I, I don't think so. What What's going to make IPS, IPFS a thing is going, <laughs> is going to be uh, the 
a version of YouTube that is decentralized and on the blockchain. And those things are happening as we speak. Yeah, DTube is the, the current leader in that, right? I'm sorry, what was that? DTube, isn't that the IPFS YouTube we talked about a little while back? Yeah, um, DTube is the YouTube killer, supposedly. I don't, not yet. It's not anywhere near what Google have done, but it's a start. Um, they have other forms of media in, in their versions. There's a thing called DSound, which is supposed to be the SoundCloud killer. Uh, and again, it's not SoundCloud yet because they haven't got all the indexing tech and that's not really upgraded. They've got, uh, they've got this thing called DLive. Um, DLive is supposed to be the Twitch killer. Um, so yeah, that, these things are out there. They're just in their very, very early generation. They're not in any way ready for public consumption yet. And like in many things that we, we talked about last week when we introduced the, the decentralization discussion, there are both pros and cons to this. One of the, one of the things you mentioned is that you have to have a gateway. Uh, so there's a, all these files are stored in tiny bits across the, the, the planet, um, and there has to be some gateway that gathers them all. Um, you know, those are, those are in the torrent world, they're magnet files or whatever. So you have to have something that, that things report to and say, this is where this data can be found. And right now, uh, there's a, a, a small but reliable list of those. That's the single point of failure. There's always going to have to be some sort of gateway. But as the number of gateways proliferate, the, the point of failure gets smaller. Um, but the, one of the ad advantages are that you can, the system inherently finds the closest, fastest, easiest to access piece of data for every piece of data so you could access you know the the server right across the street from you that your friend has could have the file or at least a part of the file you need and it'll grab that and so that's one of the engineering feats that amazes me about all of this is that each individual packet is being intelligently delivered in the fastest way possible it's not just finding the fast server but every time it goes out to grab a packet it's finding the fastest pack uh, server for that packet. And so the the efficiencies can be huge for big players like Netflix and and Google and those guys. So they all have their data centers and their CDNs right now. They're they're set right now, but don't don't think they're not looking at this kind of technology in the future because it's going to make them more effective as well. Yeah, I think the biggest uh player that is really bullish on this is the Internet Archive. And, and that makes perfect sense. I mean, these guys store, you know, the Wayback Machine and all the stuff they store. Um, they keep that that whole internet, um, I don't know what you call it, like a, a, a background, a, a, an archive of everything that's ever happened. They keep that on hard drives. And you can imagine how big that is, but... Uh, they got to the point where they didn't want the censorship of things like uh, net neutrality and other, you know, US-based censorship that they thought was going to be uh, particularly affecting them. So they moved all their servers to Canada. Um, and then what happened is that from there, uh, that's still, you know, it's not a solution. It's a stopgap because as the internet grows and grows and grows, I don't know how they can ever keep up with the hard drive storage. So uh, when this thing came out, they're all over it. And they're saying, well, this is the answer to our storage problems forever. Uh, we'll use IPFS to store a mirror of the internet 
on everybody's computers. And if you can't change it, it's the perfect solution for them. So, yeah, there's, a, there's, there's your application right there. But, you know, I want to see grandma using it. I want to see people unsubscribing to Dropbox and using this as a replacement or they're not watching YouTube videos anymore because they're, they're finding they can get better results. And they can. All, the other thing I should point out is that things like DTube and DSound as media storage, uh, the host can get redeemed in uh, Steemit token or Steam or whatever they call it. Um, that's how they get paid, and it's based on viewership in the same way that YouTube pays their hosts based on advertising revenue that's generated. Uh, DTube will pay their hosts based on Steemit, um, so it's kind of like a crowd-funded sourced payment system. So a lot of YouTube hosts that, you know, can't stand the fact that YouTube requires you to have 4,000 hours of viewable content before you make one one penny on anything. Um, they've all just jumped into DTube all over the place and IPFS powers it. Sathy, you look like you're thinking. What are, what are you thinking? Well, I just... You know, I mean, on one on one hand, it's awesome that we've just provided a raid level for the internet. If it takes off, that would be cool. But two, it's like you know the the conversation we had last week. Um, all the reasons against um, you know decentralization are going to play a part in this. You know, do I really want to risk my videos when they might not be there? I don't have a 1-800 number I can call if all of a sudden my videos are gone because, you know, Johnny got tired with the, or, you know, Johnny's parents took his computer away because he wasn't doing enough homework. And so all of a sudden your business presentation is lost. You know, there's just all kinds of reasons that will, that are roadblocks. I mean, I don't want to say that they're obstacles, but they're potential roadblocks to keeping something like this succeeding. And just like we we mentioned with uh, Dropbox as an example, Dropbox is not the primary copy of anything ever. Dropbox right. is the redundant copy. So you you still have your own NAS or hard drive or you know laptop hard drive whatever is the primary file, and IPFS is the secondary file. So that takes some of the the uh, the sting away from it. You're you're not going to run into that situation where the the one and only copy of your thing stops existing because of. Uh, Bob is moving and he's currently without internet access for a week. Uh, so, it, and also the the mass decentralization of it is this, the protocol sort of requires that things not be stored in one place. Right. Well, that, like- that's true too. I mean, it's not it's not one copy of it. It's distributed copies many times over, all over the internet. So you've got pieces of it redundantly stored all over in different locations. It's kind of like how uh, IP, the protocol itself, works. Yeah. No, I just like I say, it's you know, I I I love the potential of it, but I am. I just, I don't, I see the problems. Like I'm going to hook a hard drive up to the internet and supposedly I'm going to make money by hosting storage. Well, the only way I can get money out of a system is if money is coming into the system. Exactly. So, you know, I don't under, I don't see, you know, I mean, is DTube going to become subscription like YouTube and D music and, you know, just D cash flow uh, right out the door. And then, so uh, 
I, I hope it works out. I think it would be really cool, but I just, I'm leery of it. And then another issue to, for the little guy to think about is just the hard drive thrashing that would take place. You know, whatever right. hard drive you put in there, um, you know, Miles, you've built a, uh, a data center. You you are experienced in this sort of thing. You understand that. But if I just grab uh, a one terabyte drive at Best Buy and plug it into the network, if it's really being used, it's going to last, you know, nine months and die because of the thrashing that is going to happen as as billions of bits of information are constantly going in and out of it. So there are little things like that that are definitely going to have to be, um, I don't want to use the word overcome, but considered. Yeah, I mean, we're all going to be part of the data center of Dropbox, in effect. So, you know, the same techniques that you use when you're storing large quantities of, of data, you know, to use protocols like ZFS and have redundant copy, redundant drives, uh, or hardware RAID arrays, which I'm not much of a fan of. But um, these are changing. And don't forget, SSDs are getting bigger and eventually will become much bigger in storage than traditional hard drive media and hopefully much cheaper in price and lower power consumption. So with the advantage of that sort of storage and utilizing, you know, uh, sort of journal-based file systems like ZFS, you should uh, be able to create redundant arrays of content and put it out there without uh, interrupting the, um, the flow. And, the, you know, it's mining. If you're a gold miner and your dredge breaks, you aren't mining gold. So those guys have contingency for that. If you're a Filecoin miner, your dredge is your hard drives or your storage media and your bandwidth. So if you're a commercial operation, you would have appropriate contingency and, and, and risk mitigation for that. If you're somebody at home doing it, Maybe you have two drives and, you know, ZFS or maybe three in a parity or something, whatever, you know, Unraid or something like that, whatever's easy available and makes sense financially for your for your cause. But it, we don't know the numbers yet, so we're not exactly sure how much we're going to make, what is it going to cost us to onboard on this, but it's certainly going to be cheaper than buying a bit main, you know, ASIC miner, I would think. All right, I'm going to change my nick from the gooey kid to the wet blanket, and I'm going to say that <laughs> um, IPFS is going to do for hard drives what uh, crypto mining has done for video cards, and poo-poo on that. So, Ooh, that's interesting. I never thought of that. You could be, you could be onto something, Seth. No, I mean, it, they're, they're not going to become, you know, $20,000 for, you know, a piece of crap, but, you know... Hard drive, one of the things that has contributed to the downward spiral of computer prices is, you know, the downward spiral of the components. If the hard drive price goes up, then all of a sudden the cheap laptops go up. And the dirty secret of hardware manufacturers is, you know, 90 to 95% of the population only needs the cheap stuff for what they do. And so, you know, it's like I say, you're not going to be able to go find you're going to be paying $2 a gig instead of a dollar a gig for a hard drive or, or, you know, whatever the price is today. So I have two comments on that. First off, uh, Miles got all engineering on you there and used lots of big words. Um, and what what I want the 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 lower the less technical of our listeners to understand is this is uh, picture Miles as Yukon Yukon Cornelius in the uh, the Christmas story. Uh, he's he's walking around with his pickaxe and he's looking for that that gold mine. He's that guy. He's he's trying. He's so early on um, that what he's talking about. 
he is projecting the advance of technologies that don't even exist yet. Um, and we need guys like him. We need that. We need those guys to find the the vein of gold in California before the forty nine gold rush can happen. Um, so the but this is not ready for consumption. This is you know this is a forty nine. This is a forty eighter, right? So he's going out there and and he's uh, packing every all his worldly goods uh, worldly goods on a donkey and he's heading out into the unknown. And that's cool. And we need that. This is not ready for grandma yet if you didn't understand the words miles used you're not ready yet um and to seth's thing um i think it's different from that in that um for example in video cards most of the world had one or two video cards as we had one or two computers already multiple hard drives are common all over the place so the infrastructure is different there we're already we already have an economy built on extreme redundancy of hard drive so i think driving up the demand for that can only actually drive efficiencies up and not down oh i don't think it would be as pronounced as the video card explosion price but i i think if ipfs succeeds then you're going to have people rushing out to get an extra hard drive to plug it into either, you know, like their wireless router or they're going to get another computer running or something, you know, so there's even more electricity. We're contributing to the heat death of the universe and global warming um, by that. So, like I say, it's not it's not going to be as has pronounced, but I think it would be there. The, the other thing to keep in mind and um, is how the major media corporations will react to it. Um, obviously, there's history in how they reacted to mega, what was it, mega upload or whatever mm-hmm. they were called. Yeah. Um, and that didn't end well for Kim.com or, well, maybe it's still in its, you know, attack vector on Kim.com, but he's certainly not feeling as good about it as he did 10 years ago. Um, basically, you know, look, if somebody puts a copy of the latest Star Wars movie out and they put it on IPFS and they just share the IPFS uh, link, which is kind of a bit different through a typical URL, but, you know, you get a link to it to download the file. Um, that file is on everybody's computer somewhere. You can't, you can't be uh, subpoenaed and told uh, uh, cease and desist serving this file because... It's in everywhere around the world. It's not and something that they can do. You also and, can't um, unring that bell. So the nearest, the next celebrity nude shots out there are out there forever. There's no way to get them back. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And and maybe that's going to mean that their reaction to that will be to spam IPFS with uh, a bazillion bad copies of these files full of Trojans or whatever to try to get their point across. But the counter to that, is that if you look at the actions of those media corporations against BitTorrent and against uh, file sharing as it is today, it's far less uh, pervasive as it was five years ago because now they have a revenue model based on streaming, which they did not have back then. Back then it was about you buy the DVD or the Blu-ray or else. You know, you're not going to copy this thing. Now it's like, well, you get it on xyz.com or netflix or hulu or whatever and you you know we get a cut of the action and so we're happy to keep keep on streaming and if you want to stick a copy on pirate bay yeah whatever i mean you know we don't like it we don't condone it but at the same time it's too expensive for us to go after it so we'll just sit back and rake in the, the netflix revenue um maybe with that there 
there is no threat to IPFS in the same way that its uh, distribution, its decentralization uh, is the same thing that was really effectively saved the Pirate Bay. So I, I don't know. What do you guys think? Okay, I'm going to throw another wet blanket on this. Uh, lawyers got a lawyer. And so, <laughs> you know, if if your proprietary data is found on IPFS and they can trace that back to your IP address, well, company XYZ is not going to sue company ABC because company ABC has lawyers that got a lawyer as well. But company XYZ will sue John Smith or, you know, offer to um, settle it out of court for something that's maybe just a little bit less than it would cost him a lawyer to fight it. And so, you know, in... I, like I say, it's just uh, that's my wet blanket. So, but I, I don't know. I'm just being contrarian now. So, well, it's an interesting thought. I mean, I, the one the one thing I would say is that um, what drives lawyers to be lawyers is capitalism, is money, and if it's more expensive for their clients to hire the lawyers or to employ the lawyers to do that sort of thing and more difficult for the lawyers to succeed in it because they're crossing regional boundaries. So they're dealing with multiple jurisdictions of law all across the world. Uh, it's impossible to determine who to sue because it's on everybody's machines. Um, they, the, the, you know, if I was the CEO of Sony or whatever, and I looked at that, I'd go, I'm not sure if I want to be paying $350 an hour to a lawyer who's unlikely to succeed. And at some but, point, it's better for me to save my shareholders' money and invest it in the the next, I don't know, Lord of the Rings trilogy or something. But they're already paying that lawyer $350 an hour because that's, that's their counsel. And so they, you know, I mean, the, you know, the CEO is going to get mad if the lawyer's out there playing golf all the time. Hey, go sue some public guy who's got porn on his computer. Just, you know, get in the office and do write a brief or something. So, like I say, that's, I'm just being silly at this point. So I'm excited about, you know, the future that Miles has presented here. Uh, anything that is a paradigm shift also always causes, you know, disruption and causes people to, to ask these sort of questions. And it's good that we're asking these sort of questions and, and to look ahead in the future. And I, and I look forward to what the future is going to bring with IPFS. But at the moment, I'm more interested in the past. Seth, what happened this week in history? All right, Mark. Well, I bet you did not realize that on June the 7th, in the year 2000, the United States District Judge Thomas Pinfield Jackson orders the breakup of Microsoft into two companies, one that will develop operating systems and one that would develop other applications. Um, has later happened, Microsoft immediately announced it would file an appeal, and then they won that appeal, and so Microsoft is still one company. But this would be a, an interesting what if that appeal had been lost and Microsoft was forced to break up. And we have those what ifs thanks to this week in history, Mark. And now back to you. It's interesting that now this, this company that was the, the, the looming monster of the nineties is a, um, soft hold recommendation, uh, in the 20 teens. It's, 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 it's a, it's, Sure, Microsoft is out there, but they're not the dominant player they used to be. And and I wonder if maybe breaking them up would have actually made them leaner and meaner and more dangerous. But who would own GitHub? Yeah, well, that's a thing. <laughs> SourceForge returns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's a bit of news. Microsoft bought GitHub, which I thought was interesting. I, I didn't know that GitHub could be bought 
but that just shows my ignorance. Well, you know, they were bought out. They bought out. That's so much they bought GitHub. They bought out GitHub. So that's probably a better way to think about it. All right. And now, Seth, what do you have to lower my productivity this week? That's making you seem like a better hiring option. All right. Well, this one has legs for all of you, um, you know, um, people out there who like work in a cubicle environment. Um, it's called Stop That Pig or Block That Pig. It's just a little game where this little pig is on the screen and you can place rocks to try to stop him. Um, anyway, it, it's nothing, nothing time consuming, but it's a, uh, it's the, uh, browser equivalent of a standing in line app for your phone so it's not like the the droplet game that's going to consume nine months of my life no there's a you know thank you for that yeah but well i mean you know it depends you can find a level and have to try to keep redoing it and like if you lose level five you go back to level one and it's like different screens all the time so it's kind of random placement of rocks you don't always get the same pattern you have to stop but yeah anyway block that pig I haven't even gotten to the the game yet. I'm just reading on the very front page. By clicking on Start Game, you automatically agree with our privacy policy uh, and to share your browsing and personal data with Cloud Games BV, including their analytics and advertising partners. Um, Is that even legal? Can you say that by clicking the button, we own you? Uh, That's what every app developer for iTunes and Android does with their apps. So why not? And I can't, for some reason, get it to load. So I guess I will never be able to block the pig. How unfortunate. You've you've avoided being owned. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I've often said that uh, the phrase, I have read and agree with the terms of service, is the most often told lie ever in the history of the universe. Yes, it is. Because n- nobody oh. reads the agreement and we all sign it. That is correct. Yeah, we have so many, so many stories to tell of the downfall <laughs> of that. <laughs> All right, so this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can contact us, how you can feed back to us, as it were. You can let us know what you are thinking about uh, IPFS, about blocking pigs, or about anything else. And that is you go to elementopie and click on the Contact Us button at the top of the page there. Um answer the world's hardest captcha fill out the form there that gives uh, you uh, priority in my in baskets and i will read it and i will probably comment on it unless you're being really mean and then i probably won't uh but no we do we do like to to hear from our audience what do you think uh did this whole ipfs thing just make your eyes glaze over um would you rather we talked more about marvel comic books let us know if you're finally like finally something geek in the geek rant uh, let us know uh, i'm excited about the the potential for a new technology um i don't fully understand it yet but that's okay i mean um i don't understand how plumbing works but i can still you know take a shower and flush a toilet so at some point ipfs will be that easy it's it'll be equivalent to taking a shower and flushing a toilet even though i don't understand all the data sharing parts of it so uh let me know what you think about that by going to elementop.com and clicking the contact us button or you can also send an email to geekrant at elementop.com or you can uh, uh call us and leave us a voicemail we haven't had one of those in a very long while over at geek rant uh, uh excuse me at five five nine i am opie um or my favorite new way to contact me is through the Castback app. 
just while you're playing the show, click the add comment button, and not only will I see it, but everybody else listening to that app at that time will see it. I, I really highly, and I, I don't get anything from this. I don't get any kickbacks when you pay two bucks for this app. I just believe in it that much. I highly recommend if you're an Android user, and let's face it, most of our audience is, uh, that you go to uh, the, the the store and download the Castback Plus app and uh, check it out. It's, uh, it's a really solid podcast app that also has one of the killer features of being able to... Um, comment directly on the show in a in a time synced asynchronous way that's kind of cool right that is kind of cool my ex would be pretty sounds cool. <laughs> all right guys any final words of wisdom comments anything we'd like to say before we say good night uh, Danny, you know i just have one little thing is that history may prove us right wrong irrelevant um on this ipfs thing so i'm Curious as to whether or not, uh, years from now, we can point back to Geek Rant 327 and say, yeah, we told you. But yeah. at the same time, that's not what this is about. Um, but, but if if know, I'm going to be had- sitting back saying, "We, I told you so, I'd like to be doing it from an enormous pile of money. So <laughs> if that could happen, that'd be great too. Yeah. That's a good cult name, Geek Rant 327. So. Yeah. Could be a good movie. <laughs> could be. Uh, just a, an interesting aside, um, there was an interview uh, process that I went through this weekend, and one of the questions asked, not by me, but by someone not very technical, was what podcasts do you listen to? And the answer wasn't Geek Rant, but just the fact that that's a question being asked now in general circles is very positive to me. You know, uh, we were way early in in this nascent market of uh, podcasts, and now it's become everyday um language and that's exciting to me and you're like how much time do you have (laughs) (laughs) yeah well they weren't interviewing me but yeah let me go down the list for you but uh the word podcast has become a regular thing now we expect people to be able to answer the question what podcast do you listen to and that's exciting to me it only took 10 years (laughs) yeah Uh, i've been doing this since early 2009 um so almost 10 years i've been doing this and finally Somebody else knows what I'm talking about when I say podcast. All right, guys. Thank you, as always, for being here. Uh, Miles, uh, where will you be coming to us from next week? What globe-trotting part part of the world? Uh, Puerto Vallarta, Mexico next week. Nice. So we look forward to seeing the uh, curtains from the Sheraton in Puerto Vallarta (laughs) next week. Yeah. The love boat was out there often. Maybe. I don't know. You know, with my luck, it'll be a hurricane. Well, you are traveling in peak hurricane season. That is yeah. the thing. <laughs> uh, yes, the love boat did stop in Puerto Vallarta every week, and there was usually some misunderstanding that took place there. Probably. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, also, if you'd like to give us money, patreon.com slash elementopi would be a great way to do that. We'll see you next week because that's it for this episode of The Geek Grant. <laughs>